0: Well, I want to show you something. You know, the Israelites prayed for many years, didn't they? They were in captive possession in Egypt. It was fun. I got to travel to Egypt. I backpacked through Egypt. Best way to travel may not be the safest way these days. But as a uh, 21-year-old, it was a blast to backpack through Egypt. Uh, it was uh, fun. It was fun to climb the pyramids. It was fun to go to the temples and to see the carvings describing the Hebrews and to see them and in captivity and and to see all the writings that is there, the proof of what Scripture says happened that it did happen. I I was combing through all the 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 stuff. It was great to. Uh, go to the valley of the kings and to go there by donkey i mean that was the best way to travel those guys are stubborn it's amazing they know the trail and if you don't i wanna you know i'm adventurous i wanted to go off trail the donkeys didn't like that they fought me every step of the way and uh, even one of our friends that was six foot five riding that poor donkey i felt so bad for him as he he's like three hundred pounds six foot five and that donkey was like this, man. And uh, that, I think the donkey did it on purpose, ran him right into a sign. It was great. <laughs> Knocked him right off. I said, he should probably just walk with the donkey. <laughs> Every time he got on that donkey, that, I, that donkey was looking for a way to buck him off. <laughs> it was great. But that's not what the Israelites were feeling. They were like, get me out of here, God. I want to be in your presence. We miss you. We are without you. We are in prison. We are dying. They kept crying out to God. And finally, God sent Moses to lead them out to the the promised land. Right? But as they come out of the promised land, it didn't go quite as God said. And they didn't go quite as... They wanted it to, right? They had their own ideas of what being free should be, to being away from slavery. But it's interesting to see how God brought them out. What's interesting is look at Exodus 19, verses 21 through 25. They come out, and now God's presence is coming down onto this mountain. But listen what Moses and the conversation between God and Moses. And then a few verses later in Exodus 20, look at the feelings, the emotions, and look at how people view this being closer to God than they have been. In verse 21, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Whoa. He's warning them, hey, be careful. Don't let them get too close because if they see me, they're going to die. Does that sound really intimate? Listen, it says in verse 22 and let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord speak out against them. They have to consecrate, they have to set themselves apart, they have to purify themselves to get closer to the Lord. There's a lot of doing, right? To get to the Lord. Look 23 and the, and Moses said to the Lord the people cannot come up to the mountain Sinai for you yourself warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it and the Lord said to them go down and come up bringing Aaron with you but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them Wow so Moses went down to the people and told them stay away from the mountain don't get too close, or you're going to die. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty terrifying. To think, hey, all you guys come, don't, be careful. Don't get too close to church, because if we get too close and you come inside and you see the glory of God, that's dangerous. That's not the way it is today, is it? Listen to Exodus 20, verse 18. So go over a few pages, turn it, and unless you're in your your tablet or whatever, you know, punch it in a few places, get there, and then look up when you're done reading and stop playing with the tablet. So (laughs) Exodus 20, verse 18. Now, okay, when all the people, so God comes down to rest on the mountain. Here they are, they're seeing up here. They're seeing God's glory come down on the mountain. They can't see all of God, but they're seeing the effects of God's presence the people saw the thunder and the flash of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. The people were afraid and they trembled and they stood afar off. Does that sound like intimacy? There was a lot of fear. They trembled. It wasn't the worshipful awe, it was fear. Verse 19, it says... And they said, and said to Moses, "You speak to us, and we and we will listen." If that was only true, <laughs> if you read later on, they didn't listen. But the people were afraid. and uh, said, and but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to them, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, and you may not sin." Wow. And the people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So God veiled himself. They saw the thunder. They saw the lightning. And as God spoke, it was so powerful that they just moved away. That is amazing. But then we come to Exodus 25. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. So we have all this fear. They're standing far off. But look at what God wants. What God wants. In Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, he says, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture you shall make. And so in as they drew away in fear, God says, Look, there is. A, I want you to make a tabernacle. I want to make you a place where I can draw near and I can be with you. And don't forget all of this time during the day there's been a pillar of smoke and at night a pillar of fire. God has been there and yet they can't really experience the intimacy that God desires. So he says, build me a tabernacle. And so they build this amazing tabernacle. Probably the greatest structure that moved in history. All that went in with it. I don't have time to go into all of the details, but what is amazing is where did they get all of this to build this? God says, build this great tabernacle that I will dwell in, but then he still puts up barriers. We'll talk about that, but where did they get all of this? God provided when they left Egypt. He said, take all the wealth of Egypt with you. Isn't that amazing? Just remember that when God commands you to do something, He's probably already, not probably, He has already giving you what you need to follow that command. Isn't that amazing? Just stop and let that sit in. God has always brought the provision you need before He's asked you to do it. All we have to do is be ready to look and see. And he says, so build this, this tabernacle. And as he builds it, he provides these three different areas. So you notice there's still a wall that separates all around. He, the whole camp is separated by this, this wall, this, this tent. And there's an entrance. And as you entrance, you have to offer a burnt offering to get your heart right, to, to set your mind to worship. And there's this idea of coming through. And there's so many things that represent Christ right here. We don't have time to go in all of it. But they come through. They have to do this. They have to offer this. So then that way they can come to the lever and then wash themselves clean. That's a symbolicness of purity. Does this kind of sound familiar? It should. This is exactly the way the Catholic Church is set up. This is exactly the way the Mormon Church is set up. You know where they got it? from Exodus 25 all the way to Leviticus. And they clean. And now they can come and they can worship around the holy place. After they do all these ceremonies, they're allowed to come in and worship and to give offering and praise to the Lord. So only, And so the priests come in and they give this altar, you know, through these different altars, and they provide this worship and they go through this whole experience but no one is allowed in the holy holies in the presence of God. They're still they're allowed to come near but they have to go through all of these steps to get near just near to God. Listen to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9 and 10, it's all about the tabernacle. If you want to know and understand Hebrews, you've got to read Exodus and Leviticus. It really opens our eyes. But listen to this, and and it really starts before, but we don't have time to read all of it this morning. But look, it says, it starts off with a parenthesis, which is symbolic for the present age. So he's talking about this symbolicness, and it's really it's talking about the symbolicness of this tabernacle. But listen, he says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. All of this that is up here cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. All the doings, all the trappings, all of the things of religion, he's saying all these gifts and sacrifice are offered cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Look at verse 10. But deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But, this is the important part, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of, of the good things that which have come, then through the greater, the more perfect tent. What is God saying? He's saying Jesus is the perfect tabernacle. He is the perfect tent, not made with hands, verse 11. That is, not of this creation, not of this world, but this is from God. The most perfect, the only perfect. Look at verse 12. He entered once and for all into the holy place, not, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption. That's amazing. He entered once and for all to the Holy of Holies. Verse 13 of the text that we've written several times in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ, you once who were far off. Do you see this? Israel one time was afar off. The Gentiles had even no hope. But now. Through Christ, oop, going the wrong way. <laughs> I will get used to this one of these days. Uh, but he, but, what, but look at this. But now we have been brought near. Brought near. No longer in verse twenty-two. No longer strangers, but no longer aliens. We are no longer feared fearful there's a change of intimacy i don't know about you but i grew up many of us have had different experiences growing up but i prayed and prayed and prayed for years to have a father there's a difference between having a dad and having a father i never knew my real dad uh, through a series of circumstances Uh, my parents never got married and then i had a stepdad who didn't even want me as a son. It was very evident, and he even said so. Um, So he made it very clear. I prayed for years, just like the Israelites. Oh, you know, my father in heaven. I want a father. And it was amazing through all those things. But through that, it brought me to Christ. Through that, it led my mom to Christ. All of that pain and all of that searching for a father and same with my mom my mom had a bad relationship with her father and through all that it led her to christ and it led me to christ and i kept praying you know god it would be great one day to have a father for so many years at the age of 32 i stopped praying i'm thought, i a dad i have kids i don't need a father anymore i have you lord and and you're teaching me to be a good father and it, and it just reminded me so much of the Israelites all those years in Israel. Crying out, ah, you know, we need a father. There was Abba Father, that term of endearment. To have that intimate relationship with the Father. And by the time I was 33, God brought me a father. And, I, and it's amazing. It's an intimate father. This, this man who... Married my mom, grew up with my grandfather, grew up in my grandfather's house. My grandfather basically adopted him as his own son. This father knew everything about me before I was ever born. God has a way. He has an. This father can correct me so well. It's amazing. I can't believe. How God brought, and he, he got saved later on in life too. He experienced all of these amazing things that led to this perfect relationship with me. Only God can do that in such an intimate way. And God did that for us through the blood of Christ. I want you to notice something here in verse 13 of Hebrews 12. I want you to notice something. God brought Us near. Do you notice? Do you notice what Israel had to do? They had to do all of these things to even approach God. But when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and when and when we stood before a holy God and say, I need, I need the Savior, I need his gift of salvation that saved me from my sins. I need payment for my sins. I need his sacrifice. What He brought us near. Do you see the intimacy involved there? No longer. I didn't have to. When God brought me a father, I didn't have to do anything. It was the weirdest experience. Oh, hey, Kyle, come here. Son, this was your great-grandfather's fishing pole. He made it by hand. And he taught me to fish with it. What? God does amazing things. When God brought us near, he drew us near to provide a perfect, intimate relationship with him. The gospel, when we are planted in the gospel daily in our lives, there is an intimacy that no one else can experience because he brought you there. It's not by us that intimacy that we can have is not by us it's by a loving father who loved us and drew himself to us I want you to look at this impact and this understanding of intimacy with God as we quickly go through the impact of being brought near what does that mean if we live in the gospel daily God brings a sense of intimacy it's an intimacy that fuels the maturing process you know what we don't become intimate with God because we're mature we are mature because of our intimacy with the Father Colossians 2 6 it says therefore as you received as you have received not because of what you did as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him because you are in Christ we can walk in him listen to this Intimacy without maturity will always re- result in spiritually childish behavior. Think about this. Like, what do you mean? Intimacy. So if I'm intimate with God, but I don't grow in maturity, I'm going to be childless? Yes. I've seen it. You know where the children rule the house, Right? You can be intimately loving with your family, but if if your your kids dictate everything, you, you spoil them to the point where they rule the roost. And man, they have the mentality of it's the me mentality. It's all about me. That's what God's talking about. We have to, the intimacy doesn't produce, shouldn't produce challenges, it should produce maturity. We have to walk in that in- intimacy. We have to be planted and enjoy that intimacy. Think of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is the example of a people that were brought near to God and then lived childlike behavior, making their worship of God all about themselves. They failed miserably. Intimacy without maturity results in spiritual childness. Like behavior instead of an adult Christian behavior. Listen to this one. Maturity without intimacy results in a stale, joyless Christianity that leads to legalism and falls into all sorts of major sin and breaks fellowship with God. Just the, also just the opposite. Intimacy without maturity or maturity without intimacy will result in phariseeism you become just like the pharisees intimacy should fuel the maturing process we should be so amazed and enthralled with this father who gathered us and brought us close to him and it should cause us to walk in him to walk as Jesus walked intimacy always results Or produces an impact. Intimacy with maturity will draw an impact. You say, well, pastor, the church has been kind of stale. The church really has, nothing's really happened. It's just kind of there. What is our focus? Are we excited about this intimate relationship with God? Or are we excited about some program? Are we excited about being able to do something? Or are we excited about being, having an intimate relationship with God? I look forward to when my dad calls me I, with great confidence. I look forward to when that, that fatherly figure. I even enjoy it when he corrects me because I'm in awe of this intimate relationship that God created between not my biological dad. But he is more biological dad than anybody else on this planet. He has that intimacy with me. God created that. Intimacy always precedes impact. Think of John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I in the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Intimacy. And that's a great question, is what are we intimate with? What do we desire? Are we intimate with this Father, God who loves us, who drew us near by the blood of the Lamb? Are we intimate with Him? Are we intimate with this world? Because intimacy with the world, intimacy, by the way, guess what? Having that intimate relationship with God will always block out the distractions. That's what it says in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, every time Paul repeats himself, it's important, right? Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. We are supposed to be focused on this intimate relationship with the Father That was given to us as He brought us near. He drew us near. Intimacy. You guys want to know how to not be so driven by the world? Do you want to know the secret? I don't know about you, but I would love not to experience great sadness every day. I would like to have great joy every day. It comes from that intimate relationship you have with the Lord. It is... It is the, the, the shield, that intimate relationship with the Father. It is the great shield that just keeps things from distracting us from that intimate love. It is also, if you think of, have you ever read Psalm 139? Remember when David said, man, you know everything about me. You saw me before I was even... Born, you knew all of these things, and that man, the knowledge of all that God had done in making David, that knowledge was so it was far too wonderful for him. It was amazing. This intimate when when God saves you and you have this intimate relationship with him, he has an intimate relationship with you because he knows everything about you. That can either scare you or be. Create amazing joy in your life. Think about it. He knows everything. It doesn't matter how much you hide from the pastor or the Sunday school teacher, right? Or it doesn't matter how much you you know hide from your neighbors. God knows. Oh wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got to be careful. We don't want the neighbors to see what we're doing. They might not like it, right? Got to hide from our maybe. They don't want our wife to know what we really think about our guns, or <laughs> you know, I always told some. I had a friend that I always told. I said, if you treat your your wife like you treat your guns, man, she would be the most beautifully polished woman in the world. <laughs> I never went over to his house when there wasn't a polished gun in the. I mean, sometimes he had eight guns in his house. His garage was one big gar- gun safe. It was crazy. Uh, think about this: this intimate knowledge of, of you that God has. But that means He has an intimate knowledge to help you. He knows so much about you that it, God is intimately sufficient to provide everything you need. See what what great fruit is produced through the gospel? This intimacy. It's also this intimate knowledge to correct our behavior. You have two things. In, in Hebrews 12, it says, remember when he said, don't, don't fight it. When God disciplines you, it's because he loves you. Think about it. When, when you're convicted, when God when there's a scripture and God is convicting you, Think about it. You can either be run from God in his discipline or you can embrace it and say, wow, God, you're still perfecting me and helping me. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ. Because of this intimate knowledge of you, God has intimate knowledge on how to correct our behavior so we can enjoy the intimate relation with him better why does God correct you have you ever thought about that is it for evil's sake or is it for your good It's hard sometimes. We only think about, man, here comes the spankings. God is going to smack me upside the head. I know it because I know I shouldn't have done this. I know I shouldn't have talked this way to my husband. I know I shouldn't have talked this way to my wife. I definitely know, like when I was 16 years old, when I turned to my mom and said, I don't like your attitude, mom. I knew immediately when I got the smack right in the mouth. (laughs) First and only time I ever had a split lip. I never talked to my mom my ever that way again. Man, she-, she cried when she saw the blood, though. <laughs> she, didn't- she just, we were in the car, and it was like that perfect... <laughs> but later, as we hugged and we cried together, I realized how much I hurt my mom. When God disciplines us, hopefully you come to that realization... Because you're intimate with God, and you're saying, oh, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you so much for loving me. God's discipline illustrates how intimate he is with you. If you get anything from today, I would hope that you'd realize, as we work on our behavior, and as we correct things, and as we reset and say, we want to produce We want to produce God's glory. We want to lift God's name high. We want people to see and glorify God. It starts with being intimate with God. With living in that gospel moment and realize that God pulled you close to Him. The sad thing is, is as we get distracted by the world, we... we, can turn our backs on that intimate, loving relationship that God has for you. James chapter 4, in James chapter 4, it really speaks to this whole idea. We could read... I mean, it's the answer to all the fighting, and and whether the fighting is in church or whether the fighting is around the world, we realize that we are missing something and it's missing something because of what we've chose to desire more than that loving relationship with our intimate father in james chapter 4 just look at these these verses through verse 10 it says verse 1 what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you what passions well look at verse 2 you desire and do not have, and you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. How many times do quarrels and fights among us spring up because we just don't ask things from each other? We don't even talk to each other. It's amazing how many fights are started just because we don't even ask a question. If we just said, oh, what do you think about this? Oh, Instead, we go home and we say, man, I really want this, and I don't think they want it, so I don't like them anymore. That's the rawest thing in its nutshell. We hide it with all other dressings and things and pride. And, but look at the basics of what God is saying here. You adult, It says you receive in verse 3. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And we go through life in church this way so much. We say, God, oh, give me this, give me this, give me this. So I can do this. I want this. I want this. I want to feel good about this. I want the music to make me feel good. I want the pastor to make me feel good. And right now, he he stinks because he's talking about my sin. (laughs) I wish he would just talk about all this good stuff. Go back to the, you know, how great the Father is for me. You know, we, I want this, I want that, and we pray and, We don't get it, and so I'm not going to... I don't like it, so I'm going to go to somewhere else and, oh, that church does this. I like that. And then, oh, well, all of a sudden they're not teaching the Bible anymore, so I'm going to go to another church. And it's amazing how we just kill relationships left and right. Because we only want it for our reasons. But look at verse 4. It says, you adulterous people. He's talking to people that have... they're kind of, they're, they're in the world. They're kind of basically cheating on God. God, or the, uh, the world, is that adulterous harlot that's saying, come, spend time with me. Don't worry about that intimate relationship. You don't need to worry about that intimate relationship with God. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously. See that term of intimacy there? He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He made to dwell in us. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so he gives us that idea of how can we renew or... How can we bring ourselves back and to enjoy this intimate relationship that God has done? He's brought us near, and yet we have done, if we go back, what we've done is we've effectively... I went too far. There we go. We've effectively said, we're living in here by the blood of the Lamb. The Holy Spirit resides in us, and we said, oh, I want to walk back out here. And we've effectively walked back out, but... But God has given us the ability. Look at verse 8. It says, But draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. By the way, it's amazing how many people laugh over sin today. That's what he's talking about. Whoop, I went a little too far. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God and he will what? Exalt you. Come back and enjoy that intimate relationship by submitting to God. Be obedient to God. Resist the devil. Be so, enjoy that intimate relationship with God that you resist it. You have no desire for the devil or the things of the world, the entrappings of the world. You don't even care about those desires because you're planted in that Garden of Eden, that intimate relationship with God. Draw near to God. Draw near to Him. Deal with sin. Submit to God. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Deal with your sin. Don't be afraid of your sin. Christ died for your sin. Say, oh man, I sinned and go to the Lord, draw near to him. Deal with your sin. Grieve over your sin. It's okay to grieve over your sin. I see far too many people saying, oh yeah, I screwed up, it's okay. And they blow their sin off like it's no big deal. But that sin, that sin grieves God. As a parent, right, you know when your kids look at you and say, nope, I'm not going to do that. And they throw their, their obedience of being obedient to you, they throw it right back in your face, in your heart. It just, oh, it just, oh, man, it hurts. Kids, you don't know what that's like yet. One day you might. But it just, But that's what God feels. He gr- grieve over our sin. Humble ourselves. Come back and, and enjoy that intimate relationship. Put yourself back on the bottom shelf and realize that all you have is God above you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Humble yourself in the Lord. Draw. I want to say this in closing. As you think about this idea of intimacy. is is the gospel changes my view of God's commands so that it helps me see the heart of God. Do you see what God took all the Israelites through to show us how they had to approach God, but God pulled us close to him? Don't be like the Israelites. Don't be like them. Look at the gospel, the gospel, what God did for you, his payment for your sin. It changes the way we look at God. We can now stand in an intimate relationship because he pulled us close and wrapped his arms around you through Christ Jesus. If you look at in Ephesians, don't miss all the in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's all through Ephesians. In Christ, we have riches. In Christ, we've been brought near it helps us to see the heart of God. When he disciplines you, I hope that you would see and understand the heart of God and how loving and intimate he is with you. I hope that it resets your thinking. I hope that by seeing how intimate God is with us in Christ, that seeing this, in the, that it, we see things in the light rather than in darkness. The world sees everything about God in darkness. May we be the light. Will you go and share that with other people, that they can be brought near, not just know about God, but they can be held by our loving Savior, that they can have an intimate relationship with God. There's a lot of people that know God. But there are more people outside these walls right now that don't have a relationship with an intimate God. And maybe right now you need to draw near to God. That's the idea. What, where, what are you drawing near to? Are you living a gospel-centered life? Are is the things in your life growing from the good news that Jesus paid for your sins and he brought you near to hold you in the Father's arms, put you before in confidence Before the throne of grace, the term of endearment, he is jealous over our attention. Will you live there? Are you living there? If not, draw near to him today as we close and as we pray and as we sing. Give that to the Lord and bring people to Christ. You don't have to, God will draw them. You just go tell. Are you living in that intimate relationship? Go out and bring people here. That's the way it is. Go out and bring them in and let them be. Let God draw them in. Let them, God grab their heart. You don't have to grab their heart. The church can't grab their heart. The programs in the church can't grab their heart. I can't grab their heart. But our intimate Father who died for our sins can pull them close and bring them into the holies of holies and have a relationship with him will you do that will you be like god and bring people near will you live as god has lived or are you pushing them away please start bringing people near help me go out and gather i'm i'm i like to walk over to ace hardware so i'm trying to gather there so that's my space Don, you can come over and visit with me from time to time (laughs) so that you go there. But yeah, let's gather, right? Some of us are hunters. Let's go find those people who are unsaved, and then the rest of us, let's gather. Some of us are going to plant the seeds of the gospel, and let's God grow and have the increase. Will we be a church of that? Will you show an intimate God to this world, or are you going to show just a religious organization to our community? We just do good. Or are we going to show an intimate God?